0: We are not our own source, but we are dependent on the source of all life, which is the Lord. So whenever the harvest comes... Before they start saying, well, we got all this stuff. It's going to be great. We're going to make a boatload of money. We're going to have a ton of food. It's going to be amazing. Wow. We say, Lord, we're going to give you the first fruits because you are absolutely worthy. And the only reason we have this stuff is because you've provided it for us. Now, this principle, of course, is very, very important for us because
1: God wants us to always to remember that we are completely dependent. Today's message focuses on a feast the Israelites were to celebrate each year, the Feast of first fruits. This feast was a reminder to them that God was in control. He knew before they even planted their first seed how large the crop would be, and the Israelites couldn't change anything. Pastor Daniel reminds us as well that we're dependent on God. We don't know what will happen at any point. The best way is always to depend on our Creator. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 with part two of his message, Three Feasts. Jesus is
0: this is the bread of affliction, it says in the middle of verse three. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. See, all of this, it's amazing. The Bible's so awesome. Like, Egypt in the Bible is a picture of What? It's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the place where you're enslaved, right? And unleavened bread is called the bread of affliction. Why? Because they had to leave where they were enslaved quickly. They didn't have any time to do it. What a perfect picture because Jesus has the sinless, sinless, spotless lamb of God, right? The bread of life without sin, the cross was his time of affliction so that we could be delivered quickly. And listen, this is important because I realize that for each one of us, temptations abound. But you want to be delivered from what enslaves you quickly. You don't want to dilly-dally around that. Like For the children of Israel, they had been under hard bondage for a long time, and God set them free. And they didn't like, well, maybe I should just kind of hang out for a little bit. You know, it's like, it's kind of fun. I kind of like being a slave to the Pharaoh. No, they got themselves out of there quickly. And I think for us, when Jesus sets us free and we are free indeed, we need to go in haste. We don't want to mess around. We don't want to think to ourselves, man, let's not rush out of here. No, you need to run out of there. Because we need to move quickly away from the things that have enslaved us. Now, you keep going, you know, and by the time you get to verse five, you may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name known. And you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun at the time you came out of Egypt. So this sacrifice had to happen at the end of the daylight. Now, anybody read the New Testament, the Gospels? You hear about this before? Do you remember when Jesus and the two thieves were on the cross with him? And they came and said, listen, we should break those guys' legs. Because we don't want them to be up on the cross overnight. Now think about this. And and it's kind of, crucifixion was one of the most horrific forms of capital punishment. It was slow. And really when somebody, after they had been uh, scourged, they were beaten up. But if they were still alive and they were nailed on the cross, the way someone died according to medical records is they didn't die of the wounds that they received. They actually died of suffocation. Because the body being beaten and hanging on the cross, the, the body starts to cave in on itself. The rib cage presses down. And what would happen is, is because people's feet were nailed onto the cross, in order to get air in their lungs, they're able to push off their feet to be able to get air into their diaphragm and into their lungs, which kept them alive. So if they wanted to hasten or quicken someone's death by crucifixion, they would break their legs so you can no longer press to get air into your lungs and so that you would suffocate quicker. Now, it's horrific to talk, but this is why in the New Testament, because it was the Passover feast, they didn't want these guys hanging on the cross. so They wanted them to die quickly. So they were able to get them off the cross so the people can go and be able to celebrate and not have to be looking at these killed people. So like, no, we need to break their legs. But they didn't break Jesus's legs because he already given up his spirit also to fulfill a prophecy that not one of his bones were broken. So did this all happened at the end of the day, towards the last daylight? I mean, it's amazing. All of this is right here. Notice it says in verse 7, you shall roast and eat it. And you might say, so what's the big deal about that? Well, the idea of roasting in that culture was it was cooked out in the open. It wasn't hidden away. Why is that important? Of course, Jesus, when he died on the cross, it was a public spectacle. It wasn't hidden away in some back room. Jesus was put to a public spectacle. So even this idea that the lamb had to be roasted, it had to be seen, it wasn't hidden away. All of this is important. And then in verse eight, it reminds us that six days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day, there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work in it. So then you get this unleavened bread, this whole week passed on. And we're reminded that you shall do no work in it in it. Why? Why? Because you're saved by faith, not by works. You are saved by faith, not by works. And this is important, and this is baked all the way in it. And if I were to speak to those of you here today who aren't Christians, listen, the predominant religion of people today is salvation by works. That's what, it's like, I am accepted by God because I either vote this way or I do these things or I don't do these things or I, you know, so the predominant religion of humanity is I get saved by the things that I do. And for a lot of people, I always say that it's really the reason I get saved is I'm not as bad as the most evil person I can think of. Like I get people say this all the time. They say, oh man, God will accept me. I'm like, I'm not like a mass murderer as if you get in because you're not the most evil person anyone can think of. Like that, God grades on a curve, so you have this evil dude, right? And he or she is so bad that it throws the curve, so everyone else gets in except for that person, right? And people think that way. That listen, I'm a good person. Like I try and help everybody out, and I you know do all this stuff. And that's salvation by works. That's saying I can do enough good things that God would accept me. I you know what the problem with that is. That belief is rooted in a lack of understanding on who God is. See, if you understand who God truly is, you would never say, I can do enough things to kind of, in the scales of life, I do better things than bad things. And so if you put all my stuff on, I have decent karma. I love it when I meet someone who says they believe in karma. I said, man, so how are you going to land after this one's over? Like, well, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I'm like, well, let's talk about that. You start asking them questions about their life. You ever lie? Well, yeah, everyone lies. Okay, so you're a liar. All right. Did you ever steal anything? Well, no, no, no. Well, you know, the Bible says if you covet, it's like you stole. Do you ever like kind of look at someone's car and just like, I want that thing? Well, yeah, everyone does that. Well, you're a thief then. You know, did you ever say I hate you? to anything or anybody well yeah you know i hate the person running for office or whatever it's like well the bible says if you hate someone then you've murdered them in your heart so i'm like i asked you three questions you're a lying stealing murderer i'm like so good luck being a fungus on primordial ooze and in your reincarnated state and then they look at you like they give you that look. I'm like, look, you're the one who believes in karma, man. I believe in grace, man. You know, like, look, like, like it's your deal, you know. I do that because I'm kind of that kind of guy and stuff. And, I, but I also do that because I think oftentimes people don't really think about the stuff that they say they believe. You know what I mean? Like, I always tell people, like, the reason I believe in Jesus is because I've made so many mistakes. He's my only hope. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm spe- I believe in Jesus because I've messed up so much and I continually make so many mistakes that Jesus is the only way I get to go. And I'm good with that. And I also realize that when people try and say that they're a good p- person... You're a good person compared to whatever your standard is. And God's standard for judging the goodness of our lives is not if we're better than the worst person we can think of or if we're better than the person we like least. God's standard is us perfected in Christ, us giving everything it's proper due. That's a great definition for righteousness. Righteousness is giving everything it's proper due. So in every single situation, if you give everything it's proper due, then you are righteous. And let's be honest. I mean, I'm teaching this on a Wednesday evening. We've all already been awake for a while. And if you haven't, it's because you're lazy. You know? And it's like so if you just woke up, you didn't give everything you're due today because you missed great daylight. You know what I mean? But you look at every single area of your life and you're like, yeah, I didn't really do that so good. I didn't really do that so good. And I was kind of short tempered there, and I kind of ignored that person there, and that someone someone cut me off and I beeped the horn and I showed them one of my fingers that meant something other than peace, you know, and thumbs up, you know, and like all this stuff goes on and you realize that in every situation, you're like, I haven't given really anything. It's proper due. If you really think about it, you ask, have you fully loved in every single situation today? Have you been fully gracious in every single situation? Have you been non judgmental in every single situation today? And my friends, that's why we believe in Jesus, because nobody can get more good things in the plus column than you have negative things in the negative column. And that's why we don't do any work on the Passover, because Jesus does all the work. And he shares his salvation with us because he knows we could never do it ourselves. It's powerful. But all this, you see it in this Passover celebration. Now, in verse nine, we get the second of the pilgrim feasts, the Feast of Weeks, or it's also called the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Pentecost. So look at what it says You shall count seven weeks for yourself, begin to count the seven weeks from the time that you begin to put the sickle to the grain. And then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Verse 11, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Now, this is called the Feast of Weeks, because notice you're supposed to count seven weeks for yourself. So the idea is seven weeks after the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you start counting, and on the 50th day, the day after the seven weeks, the 50th day, which we get the word Pentecost from, Right? Then this feast of weeks or first fruits comes up. Now, again, we see this in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, like we said before. And really what this is, is this is the beginning of the springtime harvest. This is a harvest feast. That's why it's also called first fruits. Because once the harvest comes, God wants the people always to remember that their harvest is not because of the work of their hands, but everything they have that comes from the Lord, right? So this principle of first fruits comes right on out. It's a constant reminder that every time there is a harvest, the only reason you have any fruit for the work that you're doing is because God provided. You didn't create the seed, no matter what Monsanto tells you, right? You didn't create the sun, or the water, or the proper conditions in the soil to be able to grow this stuff. It's a constant reminder for the people of God that we are not our own source, but we are dependent on the source of all life, which is the Lord. So whenever the harvest comes... Before they start saying, well, we got all this stuff. It's going to be great. We're going to make a boatload of money. We're going to have a ton of food. It's going to be amazing. Wow. We say, Lord, we're going to give you the first fruits because you are absolutely worthy. And the only reason we have this stuff is because you've provided it for us. Now, this principle, of course, is very, very important for us because God wants us always to remember that we are completely dependent. Any sort of idea of independence. It's not real. We are completely and totally dependent upon the Lord. I'm constantly blown away when I think about all the things that are the most important things. The most important knobs are on God's side of the wall. I don't have to keep remembering to keep my heart beating and I'm grateful for that because I'm kind of an airhead sometimes. And so I wouldn't remember to do that. So that is on God. I don't have to remember to keep producing, you know, breathing out carbon dioxide. And then there's trees and it takes the carbon dioxide and it makes oxygen. I breathe in oxygen. I didn't create that stuff. I don't have to sustain that stuff. The ability to digest food, I mean, I'm grateful for the taste of it. But God doesn't make me remember to digest my food because he knows that we'd forget, right? So all the most important knobs are on God's side of the wall and everything. There's a lot of knobs on our side of the wall, but not the most essential ones. And the Feast of first fruits is meant to always remind us that it is absolutely essential that we give God the honor and the credit due for being who he is and what he's done. Now, again, you notice this repeated phrase here where it says that you shall... At the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. That's at the end of verse 11. This is why it's the pilgrim feast. You leave wherever you are and you go to wherever God has placed his name. Now, of course, once you fast forward into the New Testament, something very, very important happened on the day of Pentecost. Does anybody remember what it is? Yeah, it's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Now, think about this. If Passover is the picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has the lamb slain for the forgiveness of sins and all its fulfillment, right? Then the feast of first fruits or the feast of weeks, right? This is the beginning of the church. Why? Because after Jesus died, right, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he told the disciples, listen, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then... Right on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. very po- That's Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Very powerful statement. When this day had fully come, when it came in its fulfillment, God sent forth his Holy Spirit, and that was the beginning of the early church. On that day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Now, you know what's amazing about that? That's the Feast of the fruits. It is the first fruit of the redeemed, of humanity on that day see it's the beginning of the harvest the early church when the spirit was given out the early church was birthed on that day now it's amazing also and we don't realize that we don't see it in the scriptures but according to Jewish tradition on the feast of first fruits was also the day when the law was given on Mount Sinai and if you read that account in the book of Exodus, we find out that the day the law was given, 3,000 people died, because people were on the mountain, there was all these issues going on. But then in Acts chapter two, on the day the spirit of God was poured out, 3,000 people were made alive again. Now why is it like that in the Bible? Simply because the law kills, and the spirit gives life. Which brings us back to the idea of salvation by works. See. If you try and be saved by law, it only brings death because nobody lives up to the standards that they erect. Isn't that why Jesus said, whatever measure you use, it will be what? Measured back to you. See, if we really grabbed hold of that, we wouldn't judge anybody else. We'd be really gracious with everybody else because whatever the measuring stick we use, God measures it back on us. And that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? You get mad I can't believe they were so rude, right? Do You ever notice if you say that, I always say that my sin looks terrible when you do it, you know? So if you don't like that someone's rude, I guarantee you someone will be like, yeah, you're kind of rude yourself, right? Or if you're like, they're so self-centered, right? If we look at our hearts, oftentimes we're self-centered, right? I can't believe they're so cheap, right? Oh, well, normal time when we notice it's because we're cheap. You know, we just don't like it when someone else does it in our direction, Right? And so we're reminded of all of these things on this day of Pentecost. Now, what's also beautiful about this in verse 11? Notice you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you in the place where the Lord your God places his name. You notice that for the Feast of First Fruits, there is a very specific encouragement that everybody is allowed to be there. Why? Because salvation comes to anybody who would believe. It doesn't matter what your place in society is. It doesn't matter what class you find yourself in. It doesn't matter all these things that people define themselves by. If you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter where you're from, you will be saved. And I think this is an important thing because we live in a world, especially right now, where there's racial tensions and it's rising every single day. Somebody just asked me about this. They said, Pastor Daniel, so what do you think about you know, all the racial tensions? I'm like, well, my Bible says that in Christ there's neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither black nor white, all are one in Christ. So... So God's grace is not mediated by your social status or the color of your skin or what tax bracket you find yourself in or if you're employed or unemployed. God's grace is mediated by his sheer grace and anybody who wants in is in. Listen, as Christians, we need to change that discussion because right as something becomes racially motivated, it is completely outside of the purposes and plans of God. God chose one nation, not because of the best, because God wanted to bring his Messiah into the world through a group of people. And God gave the children of Israel this whole backstory of all this stuff so that when Jesus comes, it all fits in. And we have to make sure we remember that. And we have to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we don't allow politics to define the way we look at people. We let the cross and the empty tomb be the way that we define people. And listen, this is important because this conversation is coming up. And if we do not inject who Jesus is and what he's done into this conversation, this conversation is never going to help anybody anybody. See, for the feast of the first fruits, for the time that the church was born, when the spirit is poured out and places people into the body of Christ, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if you're a priest, it doesn't matter if you're a family member, it doesn't matter if you're a widow, if you're fatherless, it doesn't matter if you're a stranger in the land, it doesn't matter if you're a servant, it doesn't matter. Because if you have the spirit of Christ, then you are part of the family of God. And that is so awesome. If you've ever traveled around You can go anywhere in the world you'll find a church that's your family. I've been in India. I've been in South America. I've been in the Middle East. Everywhere you go, I've been in Africa. You meet people and they're like your family. It's the coolest thing. Like I remember I was in Africa, but we sent a team out to Kenya a couple years back and I met this brother. His name was James. And James had the biggest smile. When I met James, James gave me a big hug. He's like, my brother. Just met this guy And I'm like yeah Met the guy too That's my family member It's my brother in Christ I remember when I was in Israel We were up in the Sea of Galilee region Now in Israel there's some historic churches That you can go to But like uh, Christian church Evangelical churches you can't go to You can't have a building in Israel If you're going to do any sort of Gospel proclamation evangelism So we were up in the Sea of Galilee region And it was amazing Because you end up going to a church And there's an armored guard there no sign, no like, hey, come to church here, service times this time, check out our cool new series called Blueprints, none of that stuff. You know, I just walked on in, and it was amazing. It was a church, and all the worship songs were sung in Hebrew and Russian, right? Now, what was amazing is, is, so notice I didn't say English, and you guys know that English is my only language. I struggle with it still, you know, but it was amazing to be in this congregation, and they're singing in Hebrew, and they're singing in Russian, And I'm bawling. I don't have a clue what they're saying. But it was like, this is my family. And I started thinking about heaven. How about how every tribe, nation, and tongue is going to be there all around, all around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping God. And I'm literally weeping. I have no clue what they were saying.
1: Jesus is... Everywhere we go on this earth, we'll find family members. They may not be biologically related, but they are spiritually related. Today's message with Pastor Daniel taught us about the Feast of First Fruits, reminding us about the importance of remembering and giving credit to God for all He's done for us. He has saved people all over the world, creating a bond between us as redeemed children of our Holy God.
0: Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland, On Sundays at 10 a.m., we're growing, and honestly, not just in southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next
1: edition of Jesus Israel Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel concludes his teaching on the three feasts Israel needed to journey to a common place in order to observe. The Feast of Tabernacles reminds us of God's provision in any circumstance we might encounter. The Israelites spent 40 years in the desert, yet God made sure that they always had food to eat and shelter to protect them. God still provides for us today, and we can rely on Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Blueprints. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.